What do we have here? Verse 22 in Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's the first triad. Uh, that has to do with your and I's personal feelings inwardly. And then we have long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. That typically, that second triad of three tends to uh, 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 be in relation to how we deal with others. And then we, it ends with gentleness, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, goodness, hold on, faith, meekness, and temperance. How's that? I got it. And we're going to look at these uh, in, in each of its sections. So, first one's love. Love. You know, God is love. And it don't matter what the modern church says, we, we, just because they distort the definition, they just said, God is just love. It's love, love, love. And we're all going to. And they leave out the God of wrath and the God of judgment and sin. Okay, we, we get all that. But tonight we need to park on the fact that we, we, can't, we can't shy away from love. It's a fruit of the spirit that we have. And look at Romans 5. But keep your finger in Galatians. Romans 5. Bible says in verse number 5. Romans 5, verse number 5. And hope maketh not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When you got saved, you received all of these fruits of the Spirit. It's given by God and His Holy Spirit. And love should be shed abroad in our hearts. We should love each other. We should love the brethren. We should have enough love for the lost. We want to get the gospel out to them. God's gift. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. We all know that. God's love toward us was not based on our character. Oh, we're so loving, so God, who's a God of love, is just going to... No, no, that was not it. What did he do? He commended his love toward us and that while we were yet... Right. Sinner. That should help us love the lost enough to get after. It should be enough for us to love each other. We get a perspective of God's love. We all know that you know you get some dark clouds, gray days, you don't see the sun. And you just can't wait for the sun to come out. I'm telling you, there's a lot of Christians. They're living under the clouds. <laughs> they're living under that dark cloud. We've got to get out and get some sunshine. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts. We, we can't miss it. We can't miss it. And sometimes the problem with our crowd, we've got the right Bible. We've got the right doctrine. We've got, we, we, we've got the conviction to preach against sin. But we need to be careful. We don't do the polar opposite of what the modern church does. They're all love, 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 love. And no preaching against sin or wrath or judgment. We need to be careful. We're not all sin, wrath, and judgment. And we never mention God's love. There's a, there's a cliff you can fall off on both sides. God help us not to do that. God help us. Go back to Galatians. 
we see the fruit of the Spirit is love. The next one is joy. You kids sing this song. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? If love is shed abroad in your heart, you better have some joy. I mean, act like you're joyful, okay? Kid, kids, you got nothing to be miserable about. You don't have any uh, mortgage to pay, taxes to pay. You, you've got a job to go to. Okay? Tell me you're not joyful. There shouldn't be any reason that children that have the blessing of being able to be in a church house and being brought up in church don't have any joy. They say eggs, the price of eggs is $8 now. But you got the eight bucks because everybody eats eggs. I mean, it should give you some joy. You go to some countries, they don't have, they don't have an egg. An egg. I'm not talking about a dozen eggs. A an egg. One. Let me just tell you, go to Acts. We're going to flip through some verses rather quickly. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse number 28. All through the book of Acts. Watch what it says. Acts 2, 28. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. I want, I want to help you this evening with something real, real theological. Four years of Bible school. This is, the, this is the deepest, most theological thing you're going to go home with tonight. Watch. Everybody smile. Joy. Where? In thy countenance. I'm not talking about fake smiles and rainbows and every day's supposed to be, you know, sprinkles and ice cream. I understand it's not. I understand that. But it might be good to just get up in the morning and just go look in the mirror and smile. Let it show through your countenance. Too many scowling Christians. Have some joy. Acts 8. Acts 8. Philip's preaching Christ. And watch what it says in verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. Are we bringing the gospel to our town? There should be joy in this city. If in none other people, it should be at least in the people of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We are bringing joy to this city through the gospel. Acts, Acts 13. There is no reason for us to not have joy. Acts 13. Look at verse number 52. Last verse in chapter 13. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. Man, the word of the Lord is just being published all throughout the region. And they had joy. Why? Because of that. Look at Acts 15. Look at verse number three. Uh, and being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Venus and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. That's in the middle of a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. And they found some joy because, why? People were being converted. Praise the Lord. Have some joy. Acts 20. No reason for us to have 
a scowl on our face. Acts 20, verse 24. Watch what the Bible says. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. So that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry, what I have received, Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You might go through some persecution, like Paul, like many of the early Christians. You know why they had joy? Because they were able to get the gospel. The gospel is enough to give you joy to last a lifetime. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the fake. You just believe what you want. Come as you are. Leave as you are. Do what you want. You'll never be convicted about anything. Because the preacher don't believe anything anyway. He just knows at the end of the month. The bill's coming in for the big building. And he wants to get paid. <laughs> That's the way it goes. Don't allow that to steal your joy. We know what that is. We don't have that. We don't believe that. We don't participate in that. We've got something that will give us enough joy, and that's the gospel. Look at Romans. We'll go through a few in Romans. Romans 5, look at verse 11. And not only so, we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. You look at the next verse, talks about you're an enemy, reconciled to God, through his son, you're saved by his life. That is what gave them joy. Romans 14. Watch what it says in verse 17. The Bible says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We talked about that kingdom of God. It's an inward spiritual kingdom cometh not with observation where is that joy it's inward romans 15 verse 13 i don't have any joy okay now verse 15 or 13 in, in chapter 15 now the god of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the holy ghost is joy a fruit of the Spirit? Then when you got saved, you got that fruit of the Spirit. You might want to dig into the basket of fruit and get a hold of it. <laughs> it's there. I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit. What are you waiting for the Holy Spirit for? If you're saved, you've got the Holy Spirit. And he gave you these gifts. Look at verse number 32. Second to the last verse in chapter 15, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with and may with you be refreshed. I don't want to be uh, known as, you know, preacher miserable. Every time I get around that guy, he's just miserable. I, I want to I want to be I want to be joyful. In the midst of all we got to go through, I want to be joyful. And that's not, you're not compromising. You're raising the bar. Too many Christians, they walk around angry and nasty 
and mean. Why? Because they have allowed the world to wear them out. I'm not changing the gospel message. We're going to go out and preach against sin. We're going to talk about sin as the problem. We're going to call people what they are, sinners. We're not going to say you're a nice, lovey-dovey person and God wants to save you. No, you're a sinner. God hates sin, so God hates you because you're a sinner. You're his enemy and a criminal. But he loved you enough to die for you, and he wants to reconcile you to him. Now, no matter what the world says about that message, I'm not going to allow the world or the modern church to steal my joy. I'm not going to get miserable over that. I want to keep joy. And I'm asking you to as well. Second Corinthians. Verse or chapter one, verse 24. Bible says not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy. For by faith. You stand. We'll talk a little bit more about faith uh, later on. Help somebody. Help somebody. If you're having a bad day, isn't it nice when you get that text or that call where you run into that Christian that you know or that brother or sister in Christ out and about and they help you out? It's helpful to me. If something's on my heart and I get that, it's helpful. We should help each other with that. Second Corinthians 2, verse 3. The Bible says, And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. You're going to go through affliction. It talks about all that. Anguish, all of that. Sorrow, all of that. But I'm telling you, in the midst of that, we can't lose our joy. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 13. The Bible says, therefore, we were comforted in your comfort. Okay. Remember we talked about members of a local church. And if the leg doesn't show up, then we walk, we all walk with a limp. Okay? Because the leg isn't here. If I'm discomforted and you show up and you help comfort me, that's how the body works. We need that. The preacher isn't always going to be on a high all the time. You are not always going to be on a high all the time. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to be on a low. There's going to be times where I'm going to be in a valley. I'm going to be low. Yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus because his spirit was refreshed by you all. When you comfort me, or I comfort you, or we comfort each other, the result of that is we're joyful. Over. That's a blessing. 
And that's how the fruit of the Spirit works. We have it. We just need to tap into it. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. How that great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. How many of you want to go through a trial of great affliction? Not me. You know what they had? An abundance of joy. Because when you have to go through a trial, people, people, they don't get this. They say they get it, but they don't get it. Do you have eternal life? Okay. That means we have, uh, that means we are eternally secure, right? If you, if you got eternal life, that would mean that you can't lose your salvation. So you would be once saved, always saved. Because it's eternal life. You do something wrong, you don't lose your salvation. You might lose some fellowship with your friends or your church or, or your uh, God. <laughs> That's going to be broken. When you go through a trial and you have some anguish and some affliction, the same way if you were to sin, you don't lose your salvation. The same way when you go through a trial as a child of God, you don't lose the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit eternal. You shouldn't lose your joy because of that. You have that fruit of the Spirit. It's there. That's how we can go through trials and afflictions and still have joy. It's not that we like the affliction. It's just that we have an inward fruit that helps us get through it. I got like four or five more verses, but we'll move on to peace, uh, which is the next fruit of the spirit that has to do with our inward feeling. I hope you got love. hope you got joy. I want you to have peace. Once you go back to Romans 14, we were there for a second, there for another second. All right, Romans 14, verse 17. All right, we read this, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Meat is carnal, drink is carnal in every way, shape, and form. This meat is carnal thing, this is the idea that external rites and rituals take the preeminence. If you have weak lungs, or I have weak lungs, we need a respirator to help us breathe. Uh, this is the modern church. They've got weak lungs. They need something external to help them stay alive and breathe. It's always a manufacturing of something of carnal means. It's external ceremonialism that people are stuck in. And it's, it's trying to keep them alive. And if you were to take that away, the whole thing would be dead. How do I know that? Because if you sent a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching minister to the Nickelodeon church in your town or any town in America, and he preached straight out of the Bible, the whole place would be done in a week. You'd have to start over. Because as soon as you take away the carnality, the carnival, it's done. 
It don't, they're not coming back. Why? Because they're there for the manufactured spirituality. That is not the kingdom of God. It's not. Because I shouldn't have to and you shouldn't have to manufacture something externally if you have the inward spirit of God and his fruits. And a church is dead when the externals are the most important thing. Bands. We're going to bring in a big band. Why can't we sing congregational hymns? You know why they can't sing congregational hymns? Because there's no joy and peace and love in their heart for the things of God. It has to be manufactured by some guy spinning a pair of drumsticks banging on the drums, yelling and screaming and jumping and hooping and hollering. And it has to be manufactured because there's nothing inside. And we don't want to do that. We need to be careful of our own external formalism. That'll bring us to the grave. We got to do it this way because it's always been done this way and they did it this way. And so that's the right way and anything new is of the devil. Well, it's not really true. The Holy Spirit should be leading people. We don't have, we have to have order. We don't have to do everything the same way every single time. What are we trying to do with that? You need to be careful that we don't just make it into a formal tradition that has no inward. How many of you pray the same prayer all the time? A lot of my prayers are the same prayer. God's okay with you repeating those prayers. He's not okay with it just being a vain repetition. We've been praying for a lot of people over the year. It's the same prayer. If it's just meaningless and vain, quit. <laughs> we don't want to just make something formal. Peace with God. Go to James 3. Verse number 17. Talking about peace. We have peace with God, the Lord Jesus Christ. On that one sense, the, the war's over. That enmity between us and God, that's over. That's not the peace we're talking about. Praise God that hostility's done with. But he has given us a fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible says... Verse number 17 in James 3. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That's a really good verse. Verse is, there's two of them. You see, you see that? Peaceable, sown in peace, make peace. That comes from God. 
It's opposed to hostility. God's kingdom is a kingdom of peace. Isaiah 9, we know he's the prince of peace. Uh, in Romans 10 and Ephesians 6, we preach the gospel of peace. We are a peaceable people. It doesn't mean we're pacifists. Okay? Uh, because somebody comes into my house, uh, there's going to be some hostility there. And that hostility is going to be ended by me. Or, or if it was your house, I would hope you uh, taking some action to defend yourself. And we're going to make that hostility go away. <laughs> we're going to bring the place back to a place of peace. Okay? There's two aspects to it. Even in our salvation, we had a hostility to, between God. He reconciled us to him. Now I'm not his enemy. Now I'm his child. And so that, that part has been taken care of. And now we are peaceable people. And we have a life that we live. It says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Yes. That means Pastor Pretzels the Clown that you see in the, 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 the grocery store and you, you be at peace with him. I know he's got the wrong gospel. I know he's got the wrong message. I know he's sending a lot of people to hell. But you being mean and nasty to him isn't the solution. Deal with him peaceably. And preach or teach or talk with him about the gospel of peace. You're not going to win people by being mean and nasty. I know you guys like, like it. Pastor Pretzels. <laughs> okay. So let me just take a step back. I am saying that to you. We need to know our audience. You don't make, when you see Pastor Pretzels, you don't make fun of him, okay? We are enjoying that here and using humor to bring out a point. And believe me, believe me, they take plenty of stabs at preachers like myself. Believe you me. They do not like what we're preaching either. So we are at war with the enemies of peace and those that don't bring the gospel of peace. We got through three fruits of the Spirit. We've got six more. I don't know if we'll get through all of them. We'll see. We'll see. What's next? Long-suffering. All right. How many of you are experts at long-suffering? All the ladies want to hand, raise their hand, but they're afraid to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Long-suffering. Learning to endure under the persecution, criticism, and injuries, both mentally and spiritually and emotionally, of others. That is long-suffering. Every single one of us will need to go through that. But long-suffering is a spiritual power, if you will. And it's needed to bear up under a burden. That's why God gave us long-suffering. To endure that burden. Long-suffering is a spiritual capacity. 
that allows us to handle a tremendous amount of strain and a tremendous amount of stress. God gave us the fruit of long suffering to deal with that. And long suffering is a spiritual discipline. Because when the avalanche is falling, the Christian says, I am going to stand in the midst of that avalanche and have that avalanche come right over me because I am spiritually disciplined. And how do I have that? Only through the fruit of long suffering. Stand in the path of the avalanche and endure it. That's long suffering. And you were going to need it to survive this Christian life down here. Stand in the path of it. And bear it. How? Long suffering. Long suffering. We don't need wimpy, weak, sissified Christians. We need some Christians to have some long suffering. How are you going to handle loss and disappointment in your life? Long suffering. If you worked hard your whole life. And now you see your wealth being passed on to someone else. How are you going to handle that? Long suffering. We bought this piece of land and we tilled the land and toiled on the land and built on the land and working the land's hard. And we laid a foundation and we, we had a, we had a, a, a log cabin built and we labored. And then that was over and we, we labored and we put some fence posts up and then some fencing and then you tear down some more trees and you do some more work and you get some animals on there. You know what all that is? Emotional energy. Physical energy. A legacy. What if the children don't want it? What if the grandchildren don't want it? How are you going to handle your whole life being poured into that and now you see it going over to the hands of someone else? You're only going to handle it through long suffering. That's the only way. You can't handle trouble without it. And it does help us see the true value of things. Long suffering. It's how we deal with people and things that people do to us and with us for us. Let's go on, gentlemen. I don't think it's really just manners. You say to somebody, oh man, yeah, that guy's a gentleman. I mean, it's a good thing to say if someone is a gentleman. But I think it's more about disposition. It's the structure of that man or woman's nature. In other words, what are they truly made of? How is that man put together? How is that woman put together? Are they put together with some gentleness? What are they really made of? 
typically when we look at dirt, we look at the color of it. Oh, yeah, look, that's red clay. Oh, look, that's dark, rich topsoil. We rarely look at the chemical composition of that dirt, but that's what it is. That's the nature of that dirt. We typically look at the color. We do the same thing. You're going to plant a seed. We say, oh, look at the shape of that seed. But it's really a seed coat, an endosperm, and an embryo. That's what it's made up of, those three things. Nobody really says that, but that's the nature and the makeup of the seed, not just the shape. The soil isn't just the color. There's a makeup of that. There's a nature that comes along with that. How's your nature? Is it of gentleness? People say, man, that apple was sweet. They typically don't say the root was sweet, but that's where, if you get down to it, right, that's where it came from. Man, that water was pure. Nobody really says, yeah, the spring where that water came. You see what I'm talking about? What is it made up of? What's the true nature of it? Gentleness. Gentleness. What stands opposed to gentleness? Rudeness. That's the makeup of a man or a woman's character. It comes out in their manners, but it really makes up who they are. Have you ever been ungentle? Maybe time to ask somebody for forgiveness. Have you ever been ungentle? Maybe you need to do some root tracing. Trace that thing and get to the root. Figure out where it's coming from. And then get rid of it. Story, man, he's got his horse pulling his wagon. Horse is half starved. The wagon's overloaded. And the horse is not well taken care of. But the wheels get stuck in the mud. Horse can't pull the wagon out. So the owner of the horse, he starts whipping the horse, cussing at the horse, just makes things worse. Stressing the animal out even more. He puts an unreasonable demand on the animal and wonder why things aren't getting better. You got a frightened horse, an overworked horse, and no results. Why? Because of an ungentle handling. Who needs the lesson? Who needs the training? Not the horse. The man. The man. Last one. Last one. Finish out the, with goodness. 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 You hear, you've heard this. You've probably said this. Man, that's a good man. That's a good man. We say that because it typically encompasses more than just one character trait. When we say somebody's a good man. And they, they've got love in their heart. They've got joy in their spirit. They seem to have it all. They say, man, that's a good man. Go to James 1. Verse number 7, Bible says, James chapter 1. the right verse on that actually I think I might have wrote down the wrong verse um, 
but the fruit of the Spirit must produce a good man. When you get what do we preach to people that are lost? What do we say? There's none that do it good. All have turned aside. They've all gone to their own way. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. People say, I'm a good person. You try to witness to them. And I'm good. According to God, you're not good. You're wicked and you're a vile sinner worthy of death. And God should drop you into hell. And I know you young people, sometimes you hear the message so much it loses its punch. It loses its effect. But if that's you tonight, there's nothing in you that's good. And God would be holy and righteous if he were to drop you into hell. He would not be a mean God. He would be a just God, a righteous God, a holy God. Because you are not good. And we teach that and we preach that and we believe that. There is none that doeth good. No one is a good person compared to God, only compared to their neighbor. But when you get saved, guess what happens? You legitimately and scripturally can say, I am a good person. Why? Because you receive the fruit of of the Holy Spirit, which is what? Goodness. That is the only way you and I can be good. God gives us that fruit of the Spirit to live within us. Goodness. That's the only way. That makes sense? So if you're not saved, you're not good. And if you want to be good, get saved, and God will give you his goodness. Close you out with this. Famous painter. He arranges his paintings in this art gallery. And so he goes there one day, and that's his job. He paints. He's a professional painter. And goes in this beautiful art gallery. And he goes there one day, and he's looking around. and He sees uh, this not-so-well-known, not-famous painter, if you will. And out of all of the real estate on the wall is taken. But that painting catches his eye of this unknown painter. So he says to the owner of the art gallery and the committee of the art gallery, he says, we need to take that guy and put him in the main gallery. And the owner and the committee members say, well, no, we're not going to do that. We're all against that. The main galleries are already full. So you know what this famous painter decided to do? He said to the owner and the committee members, he said, okay, then take one of my paintings down from the main gallery and let me swap out with that man. You know what that's called? Goodness goodness you're thinking of someone else rather than just yourself last verse and we're done Luke 6 Luke 6 43 
Here's what I want us to be. This is what Jesus said. Luke 6, 43, for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit. Okay? Neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure in his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, the mouth speaketh. Now we're not going to preach through that. We're closing out with that verse to say this. What fruit are you produce? Corrupt or good? It can only be good if you are in Christ and you have his indwelt Holy Spirit. If not, Everything you produce is corrupt and will always be corrupt. But if you're saved, you've got the fruits of the Spirit. They don't go away. You've got them. You just got to start picking it, yielding to it, being guided.